0: Hello and welcome to this revision podcast and this one is on the Sudeten crisis and the Munich conference. So just to get the chronology in place, this is uh, 1938, it's just after the Anschluss between Germany and Austria and Adolf Hitler is on a roll. His gambler's luck is holding, everything he wants he's getting, Britain and France aren't standing in his way and Neville Chamberlain, the... Prime Minister of Great Britain is following the policy of appeasement. I thoroughly recommend that before you listen to the rest of this podcast, you listen to the one that myself and my colleague did on appeasement, because if you've got that down, you'll find some of what follows a lot easier to understand. Like the last one, we're going to try this one slightly differently, and I've got one of my colleagues sitting opposite me here, who's a geography teacher and knows absolutely nothing about this. So we're going to see if we can get her up to speed on the Sudeten crisis uh, pretty sharply. So, being a geographer, uh, you should be fairly comfortable with where the Sudetenland land is. Uh,
1: I'm going to be honest with you, no.
0: Ah, okay. It's part of Czechoslovakia. Okay. And it's part of Czechoslovakia, which is largely populated by racial Germans, German-speaking okay. people.
1: Yes, you mentioned that on the last one. Right. Yeah.
0: And they were placed in Czechoslovakia as part of the settlement of the Treaty of Versailles. Okay. And one of Hitler's main foreign policy aims is to reunite all German-speaking people in a greater German Reich. So, having just brought in all of the Austrians, now he's turning his attention towards the Sudetenland. There's about three million German-speaking people, so it's a large group of people that he wants to get in.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. So... As before, if you remember, the way that he went about the Anschluss is he uh, set up demonstrations. He encouraged the Nazis in Austria to start protesting against the Austrian government. And you see exactly the same again here in the Sudetenland. You've got a guy called Henlein who is the leader of the uh, Sudeten German Nazi Party. And Hitler encourages him to try and... Get the Czechoslovakian government to agree to turn over the state and land to Germany.
1: Okay, so and, and effectively making Germany an even bigger country, again, or empire.
0: Yeah, and this is starting to happen, and Chamberlain steps in. Now, the reason it's Chamberlain's problem is because, as we've already talked about, France will not act without the support of Britain. So, France will always wait for britain's lead, yeah, and Britain is following this policy of appeasement, this idea of making a gentleman 's agreement of trying to come to some sort of uh, some sort of an agreement to stop there being another war, yeah, everybody's terrified of another war like the Great War, and they 'll do anything to stop it, yeah, so Neville Chamberlain flies out, and you 've got to think that this is quite. New this idea of international diplomacy yeah. of people flying places. Neville Chamberlain flies out to meet uh, Hitler
1: yeah.
0: on the 15th of September 1938. And Hitler's very clear in his demands. He says he wants all the German-speaking parts of the Sudetenland to join Germany. Um, but he's willing to wait and get a plebiscite. Exactly the same as yeah. he got in Austria and everything. Chamberlain Goes away, and he thinks, I can sell this. I can make this deal. This is quite reasonable, because if the people go with a the plebiscite, then it's all legitimate. Yeah. So he gets the support of the French, and then he gets the support uh, of President Benesh of Czechoslovakia. Okay. But you've got to be a bit careful about this, because it's not quite that they've got the support of President Benesh. Basically, he's strong-armed into it by Britain and France. Okay.
1: Right. So they're basically saying, this is a good idea, you should do this. Yeah. Even though he's sort of a bit like, I'm not sure whether we should ma- do. Because he doesn't want
0: to lose his protective yeah. border, the mountains, with Germany. Germany's obviously shown themselves to be quite yeah. aggressive in all this. Yeah. Um, so he's not quite happy about it. But if he doesn't have the support of Britain and France, he can't do, do anything. anything. Yeah. Yeah. So they force him to uh, accept this. Having got that um Chamberlain returns to Germany on the 22nd of September and meets Hitler again. So this is the second meeting. Mm-hmm. And this is quite interesting because Hitler is surprised. Hitler was not expecting them to roll over and agree to the plebiscite. He was expecting them to say no and for them him to do what he does which is threaten and bluster and gets what he wants. And it kind of catches him on the hop a bit and quite characteristically what he then just goes, well, that's not good enough, I want more. And he immediately demands the occupation of the Sudetenland by Germany. They can just march in and take it without a plebiscite.
1: But isn't that breaking what he yes. wanted? Yes,
0: yes, yes.
1: And that's not a good thing?
0: No. Well, it is for it was hit because from Hitler's point of view, if it, the way his mind is working, if they're willing to give me this, then they'll be willing to give me more. Yeah. It's that give them an inch and they'll take a mile thing. If if yeah, so I'll, I'll ask for more. I'll demand more. No plebiscites. Chamberlain returns to London. Right, refuses to have anything to do with it, and just goes goes back to London. And this is the interesting thing: they start to make preparations for war. They start to send out gas masks to children, dig trenches in London, and everything. Okay yeah they're they're convinced that this is it, all right, but then Hitler sends a note to Chamberlain inviting him to a a peace conference in Munich, right, which has partially been organized by Mussolini, who's now in an alliance yeah. with Hitler
1: Mussolini being Italian, Italian
0: yeah absolutely, and Chamberlain sees this as a last chance to salvage peace, yeah, so he goes to Munich. And so we end up with the Munich Conference. So the key thing before we get to the Munich Conference is that Chamberlain goes to see Hitler, Hitler makes his demands, Chamberlain goes away, arranges everybody to agree to those demands, goes back to see Hitler, Hitler demands more, and Chamberlain walks away. Okay. Okay. And now we're at the Munich Conference. And this is the last gasp. This is the chance for Europe to avoid war. And that's how everybody sees it. Yeah. It's worth remembering that Hitler doesn't necessarily want war. That's something you've always got to keep in your mind. He does want a war, but only against Russia. yeah, he's not particularly interested. I, in going
1: I always to war. thought that Hitler want, was kind of up for the idea of war that he just wanted to take over, and if that meant having war, no, that's fine. I, no. I didn't know that
0: Hitler's Hitler's main his conception of the world was that Germany would run Europe would take over Eastern Europe and take out Russia and build an empire over there would therefore be so powerful that it would dominate France and Spain and Italy without the needing to conquer them and that Britain would run the rest of the world through the empire Hitler's got no interest in the rest of the world yeah. he he just wants to build his german German Reich.
1: empire yeah
0: yeah so the four powers meet in Munich and this is the interesting thing you've got Chamberlain. Representing Britain. Yeah. You've got Hitler, obviously, representing France. You've got... uh, Hitler's representing France. Sorry, Hitler's representing Germany. You've got Deladier representing France. Yeah. And you've got Mussolini representing Italy. Yeah. Who's missing? The Czechs. The Czechs aren't invited.
1: Why aren't they invited?
0: Because... According to the great powers in Europe, it's nothing to do with them. This is now about avoiding a war in Europe.
1: Okay, so it's gone from um, taking over part of a country to...
0: No, no, it's still about what happens to Czechoslovakia, but they're not invited.
1: That's really unfair, isn't it? Isn't it
0: just? The other group that isn't invited...
1: So I'm just realising. So the leader in Czechoslovakia is already kind of annoyed because he's been forced yes. into a situation that he might he not is. 100% agree with. Yes. And now the discussions about his country. Yes. He's not invited to. Correct. You'd be so annoyed about he that. Yes,
0: But what can he do about yeah. it? Yeah. He's a small country. There's only one country that actually promises to help Czechoslovakia, and that's Russia.
1: And. Germany and Russia don't get on with exactly. each other, and everyone else is a bit who a because bit they're Soviet, and
0: communist, and all the rest yeah. of it. So, guess who else isn't invited to the conference? The Russians. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So the Czechs aren't invited, and the Russians aren't invited. And on the thirtieth of September, there's an agreement reached in Munich, and the agreement is this: the Sudetenland will become German. Britain and France will guarantee the uh, the independence of the rest of Czechoslovakia, and that's it. Now, if you look back to the meeting of the 22nd of September, that's what Hitler demanded. He wanted the Sudetenland, and he's got it, and they've just given it to him. And so that's where appeasement leads them. They've avoided the war, yeah. but they've sold the Czechs, down the river,
1: poor Czechoslovakia.
0: Poor Czechoslovakia. Then, uh, obviously, the Czechoslovakians basically get taken into a room by Chamberlain and Daladier and told, "Right, this is what it is."
1: Sorry, yeah, uh, we're going to just uh, pass on the, the news. You've uh,
0: lost your country. Yeah, that's it. The man, three million <laughs> Germans, bang gone. That is your defensible border. You'd be gutted against. You? Yes. Well, not only that, they're also terrified. That's the that yeah. defensible border gone. The German army's now sitting there. Um. So the Czechs are forced to accept it. Chamberlain meets Hitler separately. And they come to an arrangement, a declaration, that Britain and Germany will not go to war with each other. And if you listen to the appeasement podcast, you can actually hear Chamberlain announcing this. This is the famous piece of paper where he comes back and he says, I have in my hand a piece of paper, peace in our time. The issue there is that Hitler's already proved that he's not trustworthy because you've got the agreement off him, you come back with it and then he says no. Yeah. So, Chamberlain believing that is, I think, Chamberlain wanting to believe it.
1: I know this goes off off what we're topic a little bit but is that one of the reasons why he ended up uh, not continuing to be Prime Minister into yeah. the war
0: the, the failure of the policy of appeasement is a major contributing factor yeah. to Chamberlain being undermined and then by the time he reached 1940 the collapse of the Norway campaign yeah. he's just out on his ear yeah. he, he ends his career in absolute failure and he is held responsible after the war for a good 20 years, personally responsible for being led down the garden path at Munich. And basically regarded as being weak and morally culpable and, you know, vile and all the rest of it. So that's overall basically what the Munich conference looks like. There's a couple of interesting bits that you just need to follow up on, right? And the first one is... Hitler's got what he wanted. He's got what he wanted. He didn't have to fight. He was able to do it simply by bluffing. And the important thing about that is he is going to do it again. Yeah. And the next time, even if Britain and France say we're going to do something, he's going to expect them to be weak and yeah, roll over and still do it, yeah. Yeah. Czechoslovakia has been utterly betrayed. Yeah. Britain and France have now lost any claim to moral supremacy here because they've they've yeah. They've treated them awfully, very, very badly. On the flip side, though, Chamberlain can say he's avoided a war. You know, so he can he can say that we were ready for a war. We were going to go to war. I've done it, and you've got to remember when he comes back with that piece of paper and says peace in our time. The screaming of the crowds is incredible because they
1: were the the first war wasn't that long ago. No, twenty years. That's right. There's lots of people who remember it and still be facing the effects of it, and they'll be very happy.
0: Yeah. Um, Another thing: there's, there's on the political front. The USSR is very, very worried by this because they can see Germany coming east, coming towards them and they can see the British and French just letting them. Yeah. And this is very much in what they would regard as their sphere of influence, the bit of the the world that affects them and they weren't invited or consulted and that increases Russian paranoia hugely.
1: Makes them wonder what were they talking about in the meetings? What's Hitler now planning? Exactly.
0: And what are the others planning? And are they using Hitler as a and that's gonna pay off further down the line in the next year. From Germany's point of view um they've gained all of the resources of the state and land it's it's heavily um industrialized there's the Skoda armaments factory there's iron ore there's an extra three million germans to join the army yeah. it's a huge boost to them um i suppose you could argue that it gives britain a bit of time to start rearming after this it, it starts to become obvious to everybody that there's going to be a conflict. Yeah. The last thing to say is simply that it takes away Czechoslovakia's defensible border. I know I've said that three or four times, but you can't overemphasise this. Because now, Czechoslovakia is absolutely wide open to anybody that attempts to attack them from the east. And funnily enough, would you like to guess what happens next?
1: Czechoslovakia falls apart.
0: Correct. It's not even that it falls apart, it's taken. Yeah. And weirdly, the first people to actually attack is Poland. And Poland snip off a bit in the east.
1: So, just because I'm uh, not up on my uh, history, I uh, Poland have not been taken from by Germany at this no, point. No, no, okay. no. Poland's so still got powers at this Poland's,
0: point. Yeah, Poland's still over there, but they're yeah. looking at Germany and they're quite worried. Yeah. And they're looking at Russia next to yeah. them and they're so quite So they worried.
1: really want to just Try and get in there into weaknesses to try and make them bigger and. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. So Poland snips off a little bit, and then in 1939, um, basically, the Germans roll in, and they take Czechoslovakia, and everybody can see that the collapse of Czechoslovakia and the fact that it's just taken by Germany, is down to the way they were betrayed, at. Munich. Because yeah. don't forget Britain and France said that they would guarantee the independence of the rest of Czechoslovakia. Where are they? Yeah. Where are they? So we'll follow up with what the effect of the Chaque over Czechoslovakia is. You've got that in your notes and you can you can look at that and see. But that's largely the the trigger for everybody realising war is now inevitable. But you can trace that back to the munich conference
1: yeah
0: and that's that's the hinge point i think that is the last possible moment when you could have stopped the rush towards war i think it's unlikely you could have done but that that's that was your last gasp and after that there's just no chance
1: yeah poor czechoslovakia
0: yeah absolutely and of course that means that nobody else is going to trust britain and france yeah When they say, "Oh, we'll help you out," because of course, who's next in the firing line? When Czechoslovakia's gone, who's next? Oh, it's Poland. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any questions? Is there?
1: No, I actually understand that.
0: That's good. That's impressive. Yeah,
1: I actually do understand it.
0: Excellent. I hope everybody listening understands it as well.
1: Again, just as somebody who doesn't know these, you lot will probably know these names better than me. I would just be worried with remembering the names,
0: but that is just a personal thing. So you've got Chamberlain who's the British Prime Minister you've got Deladier representing France you've got Mussolini and you've got Hitler uh, you've got Henlein, who is the leader of the um, uh, of the Sudeten Nazis those are the other names there's also uh, Benesh from Czechoslovakia and when you get to the collapse there's Hasha as well but we can cover that later yeah. so just try and lock in those names and the dates of those meetings the, the two meetings between Chamberlain and Hitler in September and then you're into the Munich conference itself. So just make sure you've got those dates locked down. Other than that, I think you're pretty much set. So thank you very much for listening and good luck in your exams.